of travelling to far distant planets, or perhaps just to our nearest neighbour, the Red Planet. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a chilly but strangely sunny England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your mango kefir, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. I don't know about you, but I am attempting more exotic breakfasts of a morning. It was suggested to me that I needed to eat more fermented foods. And I can't think of anything worse than eating sauerkraut and pickled eggs and stuff like that. But someone suggested kefir. And, you know, it is very nice. It's a little bit like drinking molten cream cheese, but I'm getting there with it. And it's very nice with things added. But it is Red Planet Day where we celebrate and learn about Mars, a planet that has held an incredible fascination with Earthlings. It's called the Red Planet because um, it's red, a uh, nice dusty, dusty kind of a colour. And this holiday, this unofficial holiday, commemorates the day in 1964 when Mariner 4, a robotic interplanetary probe, was launched by NASA. There have been multiple explorations of Mars and the tantalising possibility that it might be habitable one day. Uh, named after, of course, the Roman god of war, because it is red. It's the seventh smallest planet in the solar system, but it's quite similar to Earth in several ways. It has the same rotational period and seasonal cycles. It has two moons, Deimos and Phobos, and the largest volcano, Olympus Mons, in the solar system. Uh, this is one of the reasons why there is such fascination. And, um, well, NASA claims that it could send humans to the red planet by the 2030s. I think Elon Musk was talking about having a million people, a colony of a million people living on Mars uh, at some point. I, I don't honestly think this is... Um, I don't think this is really very likely in the time frame he's suggesting. Uh, but it's suggested that maybe to celebrate, you should learn more about this amazing planet and its environment and also join a local astronomy club to see if you can get a glimpse of the planet. You don't have to do that. Mars is one of the few planets, Mars and Venus, which you can see with the naked eye on certain nights. And did you know the reason Mars appears red is because its surface is rich in iron oxide or rust? It is not so much a red planet as a rusty planet. I think rather than just, you know, trying to go look at it through a telescope and get a little red smudge in the sky to look at, you should also look at the way Mars has influenced literature because there is so much literature, so much science fiction surrounding Mars, the whole idea of Martians. Um, you know, the idea of little green men all comes from our fascination with Mars. The War of the Worlds, the aliens who come to invade Earth are from Mars. There is, oh, I tell you what, if you read any book about Mars, read C.S. Lewis's The Cosmic Trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, where Dr. Ransom, the English Don, is 
kidnapped by a couple of scientists and sent as a hostage with them to the silent planet. And on the silent planet, he discovers various civilizations and he also discovers the truth about planet Earth. Why? Planet Earth has no connection with the rest of the universe. Why it is silent? Because it broke with God because of the fall. It is disconnected from everything. Uh, Jacqueline is saying, uh, in response to the question, would you do you fancy travelling to far distant planets? No, I'm perfectly happy staying right here on Earth, the Earth that God created for humans. Fair enough. I tell you what, uh, one of my sons, I shan't say which one, was so disappointed when he discovered that Star Trek wasn't real, that he, he, he was all ready to sign up for, the, for, for life aboard the Enterprise, um, only to discover, sadly, it wasn't possible. He was very little, by the way, at the time. Um, Jacqueline's saying, I drink kefir every day. I prefer to make it raw from with live grains but goat's milk doesn't make good kefir okay yes i am thinking of making it myself i bought i bought myself a bottle of it uh, just to see if i got on with the taste and I, I did i think you know kefir and me could have a relationship of, of, of sorts um, but it is pretty expensive to get it ready made so i'm going to get myself a kit because you need the grains you need the right temperature and things like that i'm going to see if i can make it myself see if it helps improves my symptoms a little bit Jeffy Mann saying, love C.S. Lewis's science fiction trilogy. Do you know, I actually cried at the end of Voyage to Venus or Perilandra uh, when he makes it back to, no, sorry, I did cry with that one as well because it's one of those novels. It's worth reading because it describes a prelapsarian world. And it's a world without sin. The fall has not happened. And in fact, Dr. Ransom is sent to Venus to stop the fall from happening. And it's the only time I've I could, I've read something described, um, describing heaven. And I felt homesick for heaven at the end of it. I, I wanted to go back. It was completely believable. It, it, it's in incredible, as a, as a, just as a philosophical concept, how, how C.S. Lewis was able to do that. Um, but I did also cry at the end of... Uh, the first book, Out of the Silent Planet, when Ransom finally makes it home. This is not a spoiler because uh, it's very obvious since there's a trilogy that he has to survive. And when he arrives, you know, he he walks, you know, he walks to the nearest pub, um, goes up to the bar and says, a pint of bitter, please. And there's just something so understated about you know, the Englishman arriving home on planet Earth. And the first thing he does, he goes to the pub and buys himself a nice beer. Um, and I just I was completely overwhelmed. Yes. Um, Maggie's saying traveling to distant planets. I don't even like traveling to distant states or different states, really. Well, there we are. Yes, I think I, I, I have dreams of, of the travel bug hitting me, you know, once my children have flown the nest and all that, that I will travel the world. But I think I would just stick to this planet. Um, I have just plucked up the courage to get hold of a copy of the book, Martian, about, it's a sort of Robinson Crusoe for the 21st century, where um, it's been made into a film where a man is the first to set foot on Mars and maybe the first to die there. He gets left behind and is alone um, and uh, has no way to be rescued, alone on Mars. It's just pretty much my worst nightmare being 
trapped in space all alone. It, it, it has everything, really. If there were giant spiders on Mars, that would also, that would complete my, my terrors, really. So I am going to read it, though. I'm going to face my fears. Jeffy Mann is saying the book, The Martian, is was pretty good. Better than the movie, I think. Okay. Now, the, the movie you can keep. I just can't bear to even look at it. Some, some things are more frightening to see. Um, so I'm going to read it. Um, so much more emotional. That's interesting. Okay, so I'm quite looking forward to reading this now. Um, King Dude is saying you can see Jupiter nearly every day in seven out of 12 months of every year. It appears the same size as Venus, even though it's... Um, Okay. Oh, let's spot the space nerd. Though it's 1,300 times Venus's size, but it's five times distant from Earth as Venus in DD. I, I do not think I've ever seen Jupiter. Can you see Saturn? I'm fascinated by planets with, with rings. I've always wondered what it would be like if Earth had rings. Apparently it would be really annoying because you couldn't have satellites very easily. But I just I, just, I like that you can see Saturn. King Dude. Oh, here we go. We're going to end up talking space and cross-talk, aren't we? What have I started? There we go. Well, oh, I have to say this, and I will say the jingle correctly this time. It's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. This is a great way to support the Crusade channel and possibly win a nice prize. There are prizes for girls, there are prizes for boys, there are prizes for adults. There we are. What more do you need? Yes, the King Dude is saying, Space Nerds Unite! Here we go. Oh no, here we go. I told you I'd started something. Oh, <laughs> PDCC, I thought that was actually the King Dude with a big space telegraph. Um, sorry, tele, tele, telescope. I'm tired. Do you know, I had one of those really goofy starts to the day. Um, I, I didn't sleep very well last night. And besides making various minor mistakes, you know, couldn't find my car keys, couldn't find my house keys, you know, the sort of thing. Took the children to the ice rink, as always. That bit was OK. And then um, I remembered it was skate sharpening day when you have to take the skates to get the blades sharpened. OK, no problem. So I'm talking to the children. I said, right, uh, you better get off at half past nine so that I could take the skates in good time to get home and plan my show. Fine. And then I said, I've no idea why I said this. Oh, Francesca, it's right. would you rather stay? You know, I could always take the skates, you know, and come and pick you up later. And she looked at me and just went, um, mum, uh, I, I kind of need my ice skates to skate. So, sorry to, to point this out, but I, I can't really get on the ice rink if you've taken the skates to be sharpened, can I? I thought, yeah, you're right. I, I need I need some rest quite, or some coffee, pretty urgently. So that's your old telescope, VDCCO. That's, that's a proper telescope. So there are some serious space enthusiasts in the chat room. This is very – oh, that's, Maggie's saying the king dude is jealous. King dude is saying, now that's a telescope – 20-inch Dobsonian. There we go. Well, I tell you what, my son would love to play around with that telescope. Um, there's um, an I've got to get the astronomy society. I always want to say astrology. They're not astrologers. An astronomy society in my town. And they have these, because there's a university which happens to be very good, uh, very big on astrophysics. And uh, one of the ladies who goes to our parish actually is a 
an academic in the astrophysics department and they have these uh, they organize these evenings particularly in winter just because the evenings are much longer where you can look through the telescopes they, they bring out the telescopes and they have moon telescopes um, and they can look at the stars all sorts um, and they, they will explain what you're looking at and the first time I came across them, they were in fact in the local park and they had sun telescopes. So you could get a really close, safe look at the sun and see all the sunspots and things like that. It was really interesting. Um, Jeffy Mann saying, we spent the weekend once in the Jefferson Davis Mountains during a new moon. It was so dark, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Incredible sky views. Lots of people with telescopes that weekend. That must be amazing. Um, I've got to admit this. I, I did go stargazing once, just, just with the naked eye, not, not with any specialist equipment. I was in Tuscany with some friends. And because we were in the middle of the countryside, there was no light pollution. That's always the problem when you live in a city or a large town. It's actually getting a good unpolluted view of the sky and it was just incredible it was so clear can you imagine the middle of summer late at night in the middle of the italian countryside and i was a bit jumpy because they have scorpions in tuscany and we're lying on the grass and um i was seeing things like you know you see a satellite go past and there's a little light there we are but every time a meteorite flashed through the sky and there were a few i screamed because i was convinced it was going to fall on my head and the the, um, the astrophysics students were saying, you do realise the chances of getting struck by a falling meteor is so minute. It really, and if you see it coming, the chances are, I mean, you, you would, well, you wouldn't see it coming. If you're seeing it falling out of the sky, it's falling somewhere very far away from you. But yes, it, it, did, it added a certain spice to the evening that I screamed every time there was a little flash through the sky. Uh, but stargazing was pretty exciting. But you see, if I'm if I'm looking at the stars, I'd like to know, what do you see when you're looking at the stars? Are you thinking, oh, wow, and it's so far away, isn't it beautiful? And it's this constellation, that constellation. Or are like like me, are you thinking, are there people out there looking at us and wondering if there might be life on this particular star? It, you know, and, and, and I start imagining, you know, what would it be like to go space traveling to that star? What might what treasures and excitement might there be on that star? You know, your imagination can really get the better of you if you're an author and you're looking at the stars. One day I will try sci-fi. I've tried horror with another author. I might one day have a go at sci-fi. I might even try solo or just find a sci-fi author I could write with. It is 24 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And we are talking about Red Planet Day. It is Red Planet Day. Do you dream of going to Mars? Would you be one of those early settlers? Is there a book about Mars you particularly love? The Martian's been mentioned. Um... Or does anything to do with this just feel so frightening you, you wouldn't ever consider standing on anything other than planet Earth? It's quite an interesting day in history today. Um, on this day in 2006, a modern spy drama unfolded in Britain following the death of former KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko in London. Um, he was... Uh, a dissident in exile and traces of polonium 210 radiation were found at central London addresses. He was actually poisoned with polonium at a Yo Sushi bar 
and ever after it was called glue sushi which wasn't rather poor taste really frightening when that happened um it's also the anniversary today of a terrible day for Britain in modern Britain. Um, I remember this happening. I was a student in 1999. 11 people were injured at a Catholic church, uh, St. Andrew's Catholic Church in London, when a naked swordsman attacked churchgoers with, uh, it was with a samurai sword. It was a terrifying attack. And for once, uh, Catholics actually got a certain amount of sympathy, but it was really frightening. Um, and fortunately, nobody was killed. But I do remember it very, very vividly and everyone being extremely jumpy after that. On this day in 1990, Margaret Thatcher made her last speech outside 10 Downing Street following her resignation as Prime Minister. And on this day in 19. 68 was the death of the children's author Enid Blyton. She wrote more than 800 books over 40 years, including Noddy, The Famous Five, The Secret Seven, Mallory Towers and St. Clair's. We all read Enid Blyton, even when we pretended we didn't. So there we are. It was also, it has to be said... An important day for literature and journalism. On this day in 1628, John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, was born. The Pilgrim's Progress is, is regarded as one of the great works of English literature. I hated it. It's just, it's so Puritan. It's full of all sorts of details that we, you know, Vanity Fair um, and uh, so many references, the Slough of Despond, Little Women. The, the novel Little Women uses as chapter headings um, various references to the Pilgrim's Progress. It's so Puritan. It's, it's a world that doesn't make a spiritual world that makes no sense to me at all. Vain hope travels all the way to the gates of heaven, gets tied up and thrown into the fiery furnace of hell because he's a reprobate and he's not among the elect and he can't enter heaven, even though he has fought so hard and journeyed so long to get there. Um, yes, it just doesn't really it just doesn't work for me, but is still regarded as a very great work of literature. John Bunyan. Um, I preferred Samson Agonistes. It was also the day of the founding of the Royal Society in 1660. Founder members included Christopher Wren, the architect, founded to promote excellence in science. Also in 1757, at the birth of the poet William Blake, most famous for the poem And Did Those Feet in ancient times, which then became the, the text of the anthem Jerusalem, uh, which is still, well, think of, think of the film Chariots of Fire. There we are. Um, hang on a second. Here we go. Oh, gosh, sorry. I'm way... Dr. Torres, no, I'm not thinking of any of that. I think sometimes that if that star there, that really big one we see in daytime, were to just die, would a black hole gobble up part of the Milky Way? I guess that's why I love horror. Well, I never thought of that. And now when I look up into the sky, I might just think the same thing. Thank you, Dr. Torres. Um, 
King Dude saying the John Carter of Mars series is good reading. Okay, never heard of it. I will look it up. Dr. Torres is saying that The Naked Swordsman sounds like the title of an old kung fu movie. Love the John Carter movie. Um, yes, it's... I have no idea why the man was naked. I mean, he was obviously mentally ill. I mean, it was, just, it was a very odd thing to do. But it was just... I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for the people in there, for this yes, this naked man to come storming into the church with a samurai, samurai sword slashing at people. It's just... It's the sort of thing Tarantino would think of. Mary's Dowry saying, I used to read Enid Blyton books when I was a girl. I loved those books. We well, see, I think they had a bit of a, a second a second spring, even though Enid Blyton is very out of vogue uh, because, you know, she, she hasn't aged well. And most children's books do not age well because they're, they're very much of their time. But I think where children uh, of the... the the new generation find them fascinating is that is the freedom the children have in the famous five and the secret seven they're this gang of friends who just wander about and build dens in the woods and go camping and having picnics and things like that without their helicopter parents hovering constantly because it's it's a world it's the world of the 1950s basically and it's it's a world where children did have just a lot more freedom. And I think that that's why they are enduringly popular, even though many aspects of the books just don't really work today. I enjoyed The Magic Faraway Tree. That, for me, the idea of being able to wander along uh, into, a, into a magical world really appealed when I was about seven. In the magic faraway tree, there is this magical tree in the middle of the woods. And as you climb it, as the three children climb it, they meet different characters like Moonface and sort of fairies and elves and people like that who all live up in this far the faraway tree. And as they get further and further closer to the top, they discover there's a whole world you can access via the top of this tree. There's a kind of portal. But you have to be careful because the world spins and if you happen to be late getting back through the portal, you will be trapped. You can't get out of the world. So there's always this faint sense of menace. However beautiful the world is, and not all of the worlds they explore are beautiful, however beautiful they are, though, there's always that fear. They've always got to keep an eye on the time or they might become trapped forever. So I did enjoy The Magic Faraway Tree. Good, magical, mysterious fantasy story. Um, the King Dude, Edgar Rice Burroughs beat Wellies. I thought Wellies, Wells, sorry. <laughs> I slightly misread that one. It was, it's, not, it's not a typo, it's, I just misread it. But Wells to the genre of science fiction by a few years with John Carter. Um, okay, so, so the John Carter stories are, are actually, they predate... H.G. Wells. Okay. I didn't know that. The John Carter movie was great. Hugh Nash would love it. Right. Okay. I shall look it up. Mary's Dowry liked the John Carter movie too. Well, gosh, we have been talking planets for the whole of the first segment. The King Dude will turn me into a space nerd yet. Remember, it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest and get the chance to win over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. Lots of lovely prizes.
We need to go to an ad break now, but please stay tuned. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella De Maria, and our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation. The Early Show... The early show will continue in a few moments. And please remember, we are talking about the red planet. Tell me everything you know about the planet Mars, whether you would go there, what books you have read about it. I'm more interested in the literary journeys than the actual planned Elon Musk journeys. Tell me all about it, because we will continue in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel, Live Talk Radio, the way it should be. Control to Major Tom Ground Control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ten Ground Control Nine. to Major Tom Eight. Seven Six Off. This is Good morning, all you early risers and insomniacs, and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation as you enjoy a healthy, protein-rich breakfast, including kefir and avocados and all the other lovely healthy food I'm convincing myself I'm going to keep eating. If you have missed the first segment, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And we have been talking about Red Planet Day. It is celebrate the red planet today i notice it's also french toast day or as we call it over here eggy bread or as the french call it i believe pain perdu um let's talk we'll have to talk french french toasty treats with 
Mike, if we're not talking about Mars and Saturn and other space nerdy things in the crosstalk. It is also that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas to take part in the contest and get the chance to win over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary for tickets. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. Lots of lovely prizes. And Maggie in the chat room has some beautiful chaplets. Added two Seven Sorrows chaplets to the FTP yesterday and added several new rosaries too and there they are absolutely beautiful um maggie saying this is an our lady of guadalupe cameo rosary good morning dwight jacqueline is saying if you look at all the conditions that are required for life including an atmosphere a magnetosphere the moon seasons the distance from the sun the tilt of the earth and of course water 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 obviously god created this planet for us and not the others well this is what i find so interesting jacqueline because it was originally believed that you needed fairly minimal things to make a planet habitable. Um, and the criteria were so small that it was felt, you know, there could potentially be billions of habitable or even inhabited planets around the universe. But the more scientists went into this, the more they realized, in fact, there are so many things that are necessary, so many factors, all that have to be working in sync in harmony in order for a planet to be habitable something like planet earth yes distance from a star um to get just so the temperature is right the amount of light is right atmosphere um magnetosphere um having a moon having seasons as you say lots of water a permanent and constant water supply but also things like having planets a, a planet like jupiter a huge giant of a planet far enough away not to be a danger but close enough to be able to attract a lot of asteroids and other dangerous bits of space junk into it to protect earth uh, it's absolutely fascinating I, I, I the more i the more i look at this the more i think how beautiful and unique planet earth is i reviewed a book some time ago i think it was in the last season in fact of fiorella files by Professor Adrian Cox about the solar system, about the origins of the solar system, because we look at, we're fascinated by the origins of the Earth, but of course there was also you know, the solar system. And just learning about the way the other planets of the solar system developed, their own journeys, and how close Venus came to being habitable, how close Mars is to being habitable, but not close enough. It's incredible. Just the, the miracle of planet Earth is just so beautiful. Um, Dr. Torres, as promised, I'm giving my review of Philip Fracassi's Boys in the Valley. You're, it's a dang good novel. It spotlights the faith and the struggle of a young orphan who's on the path to the priesthood. If you like horror and possession type stories specifically, this is a book for you. Here it is. Boys in the Valley. Wow. Okay. We're also saying space oddity. Wow. Uh, Dr. Soros, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure I'm brave enough for this. A gothic, gory Lord of the Flies. A gory Lord of the Flies? That Lord of the Flies wasn't gory. Horror readers will be hooked. Okay. St. Vincent's Orphanage for Boys, early 20th century in a remote valley in Pennsylvania. Here under the watchful eyes of several priests, 32 boys 
work, learn and worship. Peter Barlow, orphaned as a child by a gruesome murder, has made a new life here. As he approaches adulthood, he has friends, a future, a family. Then late one stormy night, a group of men arrive at their door, one of whom is badly wounded. Occult symbols carved into his flesh. His death releases an ancient evil that spreads like sickness, infecting St. Vincent's and the children within. Soon, boys begin acting differently, forming groups, taking sides. Others turn up dead. Now... Peter and those dear to him must choose sides of their own, each of them knowing their lives and perhaps their eternal souls are at risk. That sounds incredible and terrifying. Oh, and the, the chief exorcist of the Vatican um, is, uh, is quoted in the beginning. When I'm asked how many demons there are, I answer with the words that the demon himself spoke through a demoniac. We are so many that if we were visible, we would darken the sun. Ooh. Really, really scary. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure I'm brave enough. But if anyone else is brave enough, maybe they could come on the Fear of the Files and talk about it. There we are. There's a compromise. Um, yes, Ross is, is commending you for your wonderful choice of music. Was that an English band? Was that the Beatles? They sounded English. Um, Bert Starr is saying... Oh, David Bowie. Ah, should... Oh, hang on a second. Is this Life on Mars, the song Life on Mars? Because there's um there was a um because there was um there was a TV drama called Life on Mars and the 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 cop who who ends up in the coma is he's listening to Life on Mars when um when it uh, when when he goes into the coma and he ends up in the 1970s. Okay. Um Bert starts saying Mount Anak Krakatau Krakatau um, situated in the waters of the Sunda Strait, erupted in the afternoon of November 27th, sending a plume of ash some 2,160 metres above sea level. That was the volcano's second eruption of the day, with the first, as noted by the PVMBG, spewing ash at some 1,660 metres. Wow, that's scary. Um, WK Sumner saying, good morning, Crusaders. Good morning, WK Sumner. Somehow we're supposed to believe it's all by accident. Well, this is this is what I find um, I find so incredible is that there is this assumption that if you have any scientific knowledge, you will be an atheist when that is not true. For a start, the majority of scientists are believers. The majority of scientists believe in God. And in fact, the percentage of scientists who believe in God has not changed substantially in the last 80 years. So it's simply not true that as we get more and more scientific developments, uh, God becomes more and more redundant. Um, it's simply it, 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 it's simply not the case. Um, Dr. Torres, I suggest Stephen Meyer's Darwin's Doubt and David Berlinski's The Deniable Darwin, two great books. David Berlinski's daughter is Claire Berlinski, who wrote a book on Margaret Thatcher titled There Is No Alternative. OK, interesting. Um, I have to look up Claire Berlinski. That's, that sounds like an interesting book. Mary's Dowry, our priest, believes that God made the stars for us to show us his glory and the beauty of his creation. Oh, that is beautiful. Um, Ross singer. Okay, sorry, the song was, was Space Oddity. Lady Bellamine, I'm half surprised the King Dude didn't play a whole, um, the planet specifically, um, oh, 
the, the whole of host, host the planet, specifically the Mars section. Mars, the bringer of war, is the most incredible piece of music in hosts the planets. Um, it's just it's one of those you you can feel, you know, the, you can feel the tension. Um, w. K. Sumner, science proves the existence of God all the time. Absolutely, um, never let anyone tell you any different. Not that I have to tell you that. Well, in fact, you know, talking about exploration and it seems to be the consensus, the consensus as far as there is one is that most people would kind of rather not zot off in a space rocket to other planets when they've got a perfectly nice planet here. Thanks very much. But I'm aware all the time um, about how much we still don't really know about our own planet how much there is still to learn about planet Earth. Um, Jacqueline's saying, absolutely, the more you learn about the universe, the more you realise it cannot be an accident. I completely, completely agree with you. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen the film, the movie, The Dig. Has anyone seen the film The Dig? If you haven't, it is a beautiful film. I, it was For me, it was pretty much my, my film of the year. It was based on the true story of the archaeological finds they made in Sutton Hoo in Suffolk. This was on the eve of the Second World War. There was a wealthy landowner. Uh, she had a terminal heart condition. And so there was a certain urgency to the work. But she had a hunch that there was something buried beneath her land. And the archaeologist who gets to work and who makes the discoveries, played by Ralph Fiennes. Beautifully, very different role Ralph Fiennes has. He always seems to play 1940s characters rather well. He's got that sort of face. I don't know what it is, but very different role to his usual fare. Um, but he he should have got an Oscar for this. And before long, there's a whole team there working on this amazing find. And... It's it's just a very reflective film. You see in the distant past. You see the, the country's obviously on the verge of a major crisis. And you're seeing this portal into a forgotten civilization. It's just, it, it's beautiful. And it's beautifully um, shot, beautifully acted. There are a few things. For example, they changed the female photographer he was a very great photographer of her time to a man so they can have a kind of love triangle situation. The archaeologist couple in the film, they're made out to be a much older man with a very young wife and it all goes horribly wrong when in fact they were more or less the same age. They were very happily married and had very successful joint careers. They also make it out that the, the female archaeologist is constantly under attack because she's a woman, that she's only allowed onto the dig because she's much lighter than the others and she won't disrupt anything, when that is simply not true. She was a very successful archaeologist and a very well-respected archaeologist. So there are things in the film that are annoying, but in in the, in the same, same way, it is if you just allow the artistic license, it's really beautifully made. And just recently, they think they have found something else incredible at Sutton Hoo. They think... They have found a 1,400-year-old temple. Um, this could be a really, really exciting find. It's thought the temple could have been overseen by King Raedwald, who died in AD 625, and who is thought to have been buried at Sutton Hoo. Um, it's been described as a remarkable find. Um, it was 
discovered only a year after the remains of a large um, timber royal hall were unearthed. The Venerable Bede mentions the king's village in the 8th century book An Ecclesiastical History of the English People. And it was described that the that King Raedwald had a temple in which there were altars to pre-Christian gods alongside an altar to Christ, but didn't say specifically where it was. They think this might be what the Venerable, Venerable Bede was referring to. It's really exciting. Um, you, you have hundreds of volunteers going over, helping out with the digs. It's a huge project, massive area. And it, it's something like um, 50 hectares. So think 20 football pitches, 20, 20 soccer pitches. Yeah, it's huge. And they've already found all sorts of wonderful artifacts, um, which suggests that there was royalty based on this site. So this could be a really unique site. And it's just incredible the way you'd think there would be nothing left to find. And yet there is there are all these incredible things, um, you know, and some of the treasures are already on display. Um, but it's just, I, I'm just in awe of the people who unearth these things. I think if I hadn't been a writer, I would have loved to have been an archaeologist. Um Jacqueline is saying in the chat room, I was talking, just talking to the students yesterday about the DNA molecule and how there's a protective tail on both ends that's been breaking down over the generations. It still has a very long way to go, but they're able to use that to determine when humanity began and actually where, and um, it kind of points to two people in the Middle East. Um, guess what? That's where the um, Tigris and Euphrates rivers are. Well, they could they call that um, that area the Garden of Civilization. Is it actually called the Garden of Civilization? I, I thought that was I thought that's what it was called. Um, Jacqueline was saying I pointed out that if the DNA molecule is actually breaking down, those completely against the idea of evolution, um, where a simple organism turns into a complete complex organism, entropy. Okay, um, it is. 57 minutes past the hour, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast same day from crusademax.com. We are talking about Red Planet Day and French Toast Day, though for once food doesn't seem to be featuring terribly highly on the show. Can't think why not. Do put your pictures of French toast, eggy bread, pain perdu, whatever you wish to call it, in the chat room. It is... Uh, also been there's been a story on the BBC website about a possible ancient temple discovered at Sutton Hoo, the site of um, a previous archaeological dig, which has also been incredibly valuable and was immortalised in the film The Dig. If you have not seen the film The Dig, please, please do watch it. Um, I have mixed feelings about Ralph Fiennes. I love some of his films, can't stand other ones, but this is really good. It is also that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas, to take part in the contest and get the chance to win over one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, as well as supporting the radio channel. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. You can buy tickets and then listen out for the soundbite and call in. But moving on to a slightly tougher subject okay we were talking 
the other day about the school situation. We quite often do end up talking about schools, about what's wrong with the school system, the curriculum, the classroom control, all of the rest. But there's been a bit of a hoo-ha um, over here because a series of WhatsApp messages from a group chat for teachers has been leaked to the press. This is um, a group chat between staff at schools in Aberdeen um, up in Scotland. And when it was first revealed, par the parents of pupils at these schools were not informed. Um, though the, the messages then were discovered, or, well, huh, were obtained by the BBC. The messages are extremely derogatory about pupils and parents. Um, and some of them, uh, in some cases, use bad language or the poo emoji, um, the little bleeps, yeah. Um, and obviously it's caused a lot of upset. I'm to give you some idea. Um Teachers are talking about a particular a particular pupil who's and the, the pupil's name has been redacted for obvious reason. Let's praise the badly behaved children. Totally get why you're fizzing. There are a bunch of disrespecting little bleeps. If the biggest little bleep thinks he'll be sewing, he's another thing coming. Um, I've just found myself walking through the lobby in my dressing gown, muttering, "Nobody should have to have bleep in this class more than once." Um, and parents were also criticised as utterly toxic, spiteful behaviour. It's very damaging and hurtful. They should be ashamed of themselves. Intelligent, good people rarely have children who are constantly disruptive in school. Another for those idiotic parents, etc., etc., etc. And yes, it's not very pleasant. And if I were one of those parents, or this referred to one of my children, I'd be pretty unimpressed. But I suppose the question, and I was discussing this with my children, is does it actually matter if teachers are having a private letting off steam exercise in an encrypted chat, is it in fact anybody's business? Is it even the parents' business? Um, if they were ranting like that in the staff room, no one else would know about it. Do they, in fact, have a right to just say what they like as long as it's private? Or do parents have a right to be very insulted and upset about this? Um, and generally, I feel, I feel uncomfortable about it because I once had the experience, it was a very mild thing, of turning up at one of my children's nurseries, the nursery of one of my children. And this is you know, when they're sort of three, four years old. And I arrived just in time to see the nursery worker escorting my child back inside. They'd all been playing in the playground. I didn't catch what the problem was, but she turned to her colleague, not realising I was standing there, and in a really sneering voice, went, oh, don't worry, their mummies and daddies will be coming to take them away soon. And she didn't say anything particularly wrong, but there was just something really disrespectful about the whole tone she was using to talk about the children. Um, and I, I found it, I, I thought, well, if you really do hate being a nursery worker so much you probably shouldn't be here sweetheart um and 
you don't have to refer to them to us as their mummies and daddies because you're grown ups, by the way. Um, it irritated me and I didn't entirely trust that teacher again after that. But on the other hand, I just think, well, do people, you know, if, if a child is absolute, is a complete nightmare, is really driving teachers crazy, do they have a right to let off seam about it? Um, Dwight saying, imagine Earth before the fall, Jacqueline. I tell you what, the best way to imagine Earth before the fall is to read the Cosmic Trilogy. I have never read a description of heaven. or I mean, it's not supposed to be heaven, the, the prelapsarian world, the world before the fall, so convincingly. I didn't think it was possible to describe a world without sin. How could that actually be possible? Because we're all sinners and the writer's a sinner. And somehow or other, it makes sense. It is so beautiful. Um, Jacqueline is saying philosophy is the child of theology and science is the child of philosophy. Problem is many people turn the hierarchy upside down. Science becomes their religion, which they defend with all their being. Um, I've never been able to figure out why it matters so much if we believe in God. Why do they have to defend their viewpoints so much? Why does it matter? Is it because it threatens their worldview and deep inside they know that there is something that's not being fulfilled by their point of view? I've always wondered about this because the new atheists, they are crusaders. If you'll pardon me saying so, crusaders. They are crusading atheists. They are out to convert people to atheism. And part of me thinks, well, if you really think this is all pointless, that we're all here by chance, there is obviously no God, why does it actually matter to you if somebody believes in God? You know, can you really be so arrogant as to assume that all those of us who have a religious creed are somehow at a disadvantage to you? You know, if you really did believe in your nihilistic ideas, you would simply leave people alone. You know, it, it just, in, nothing about what the new atheism does makes any sense. So, yes, what what is the issue with WhatsApp? WhatsApp is an encrypted messaging service. Lots of people are members of chats of this nature. Um, I have to say, when my children were at primary school, it doesn't tend to happen so much at secondary school, when they were at primary school, every class had a parent's WhatsApp chat where parents could usually ask questions like, oh, is it, um, is it a mufty day uh, tomorrow? Oh, do you, does anyone know when the homework's due? It was usually practical things like that. Um, sometimes it was nice things, oh, we should get the teacher a nice bottle of wine for the end of term or whatever. But sometimes... The chats got quite unpleasant. They would start attacking members of staff in quite a rude way. Um, there would be arguments that broke out. And eventually I left these chat rooms because I found them toxic. Um, I just thought, you know, if you have a problem, then go through the proper channels. Um, and by the way, stop criticising other parents because uh, it's none of your business how they're bringing up their children. If you have a problem with the fact that your child is someone else's child is going to church or someone else's child um, has been told not to swear. Well, do you know something? It's really not your issue. And because I did find those chats, um, the chat groups rather toxic and I, I did leave them. I suppose it's what's made me a bit uneasy about this story. But I'm also aware if parents can do that why shouldn't teachers be allowed to as well? Uh, Mary's Dowry is saying an answer to this question I was asking, because atheism is a religion. 
I think that is the problem. It is a religion. It it bears all the whole hallmarks, weirdly and creepily, of a religion. If you listen to the way people like Richard Dawkins talk, he speaks with the zeal of a fundamentalist preacher. He's just preaching atheism and destruction. Um, everything about the way he talks, that is exactly how he sounds. Um, the fact that he won't debate or will only debate if he thinks it's going to be easy because it disgusts him that anyone could possibly challenge his doctrines. Um, the way he's treated, he and the late Christopher Hitchens uh, were treated like virtual prophets. There are actually atheist churches now in Britain, you realise. There are atheist churches where atheists can go to worship the real absence or something. They've worked out that, you know, religion's kind of nice and like the way it brings people together and stuff. So we should probably do all that stuff without the kind of God bit. It's very weird. The atheist church in Britain has, in fact, already gone into schism. <laughs> Believe it or not, they are, they're also they have schismatics. So it's insane. It makes no sense. But it is very, very damaging. And I think um, certainly Dawkins had a toxic influence on my generation um, and I dread to think you know who the who the next one's going to be Philip Pullman was the sort of C.S. Lewis of the atheist movement he almost modeled himself as a kind of C.S. Lewis with his um, his fantasy stories were obviously supposed to be atheist allegories as a counterpoint to the Narnia stories which of course are Christian allegories um, Mary's diary is saying, yeah, how ironic is that atheist churches? Exactly. It is completely ludicrous. They had a bus campaign. They, they, had, a, they had a banner, a bus banner campaign um, on London buses and some other buses as well around the country um, over here. You can hire advertising space. And it's great. A lot of people see, millions of people see this advertising space. We think about London buses crawling through the, um, the traffic. And Sometimes you will get somewhere like the Bible Society will fundraise to have adverts on London buses. And it will be usually a quote, um, a quote from the Bible uh, with maybe some, you know, some in, in the small print, some way of exploring Christianity further. Sometimes the Alpha Course, for example, uses it. But they had their own banner, bus banner campaign. There probably isn't a God, so stop worrying and enjoy yourself. That, that was their message. That is their central dogma. They couldn't even say there is no God. There probably isn't a God. Apparently there's some legal issue. Um, Lady Bell, I mean, just a note, in Pullman's books, the enemy, the bad guys, is the magisterium. Think about that. Exactly. It is openly and deliberately and obviously anti-Catholic because guess what? Philip Pullman's ex-wife is Catholic. It's completely ad hominem. He is just trying to have a pop at her. It's very, very clumsily allegorical in that sense. It is obviously the Catholic Church that he's attacking. Um, he, you know, he is an incredibly nasty man. If you see photographs of him, he looks creepy. Um, W.K. Sumner saying, funny how they imitate faith to try and prove a point. Satan said, surely you will not die. How did that work out? Well, I think it was K.V. Turley, actually, who was making the point when the Sing of Darkness came out, was saying that um, Satan does not create anything. Satan is a counterfeiter. And the New 
atheism is a counterfeit religion. It's counterfeit in every sense of the word. And I find it, I find it ironic, darkly ironical, I suppose, just as Mary's diary was saying how ironic that you have atheist churches, that if you even look at, say, civil ceremonies, they are so obviously trying to be Christian. If you go to a civil marriage, I, I went to, one of my husband's cousins got married in a registry office. And we're sitting there and there's an aisle for the bride to process down. There's no reason to have an aisle in a registry office, but they have one. There's a table at the front, which again is completely unnecessary, but it kind of looks a bit like an altar. Perhaps, you know, it just has that feel. They have readings, secular readings, where they, they have readings about love and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's almost, you're expecting them to say this is the word of the, oh, no. Um, it's actually from Captain Corelli's Mandolin. And the registrar who does the wedding gives a little homily. He gives, it, he gives a little speech and does this kind of weird camp pastor kind of act. He's not in a collar, but the whole thing feels very, very like that. And they even now have civil naming ceremonies because people have thought, well, these Catholics and Christians, they have this like baptism thing. That's a bit fun. Can't we have that? Oh, let's call it a naming ceremony. Um, secular funerals. I find particularly sad. But again, they have nice music, sometimes some songs, some secular readings. They have someone being a kind of minister. Um Everything about the whole structure of it feels sort of weirdly. It has, it feels weirdly religious. It has sort of echoes of Christianity all over it, and apparently nobody's noticed. Um, yeah, Jacqueline was saying it's because everyone needs to believe in something. It's human. Um, my my honorary godmother once gave me a picture of a, a print of sunflowers. It was I think it was Vincent Van Gogh's sunflowers. And she was quoting a saint, and I can't remember which saint it was now, but the quote has stayed with me that just as the sunflowers always grow towards the light, so we always, as humans, look up towards our creator. We always look up towards God. And so if people do not seek God, they will look for something to substitute God. They will have something that they worship. Um, and it's always going to be the case, as Jacqueline says, because we are human. And it's because we are created by God. We always look towards the creator. Um, and that's why, surely, Augustine said, our souls will only find rest when they rest in thee. Because nothing can ever, no counterfeit God created by secular, secularism or the new atheism or capitalism or whatever can ever replace the real thing, the real deal. Um, gosh, we've got ever so profound this morning. We started off talking about Martians and French toast, and still nobody has put a picture of French toast in the chat room. I am going to have to try to find a picture of, of French toast. I've got to remedy this situation. Um, okay, final question before we, because we're going to go to crosstalk in just a moment. How many of you, thinking of Sutton Who and the um, the digs there and the film about it, how many of you, when you watched Indiana Jones, dreamed of being an archaeologist and imagined you'd be going on all sorts of adventures? Anyone, anyone going to admit that they first thought or possibly only ever thought 
okay, French toast is coming, of being an archaeologist after watching Indiana Jones. Cesare saying it's the first effect of not believing in God that you lose your common sense, Father Brown once said. Um, oh, no, I, got, I got there first, Maggie. French toast, there we are, and there's, there's Maggie's. Yours looks a little bit burnt, but probably still tastes absolutely delicious. Mike, are you there? It's not burned. Looks burnt to it's me. It's sugar. sugar. Oh, I see. It's, caram it's caramelized. Yeah, sugar browns. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's all right, then. We're going to start two days off with, uh, uh, with King Dude insults. Yesterday um, was dreadful. It was dreadful taste in all things, including music. And today I burned the food. Oh God! Well, I didn't realize it was yours. <laughs> yes, that is uh, that is the family secret recipe. I could teach you how to make it, but uh, you would have to burn it. Well, there we are. Never mind. <laughs> so, if you take brown sugar and you expose it to heat, it's going to turn that color. So it's pain brûlé then. Yes. 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 <laughs> So uh, now, if you if it turns black, now then maybe you burned it. You okay. or as Gordon Ramsay would say, you burned it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's Gordon Ramsay. Ramsay's quite a lot to say for himself. Would you know that he has a line of pans that cost five thousand dollars? What? How good can a pan be? These are simple kitchen saute pans. That have a coating on them. Uh, what do they call it? Hex. Hex clad. Hex clad. Hex clad uh, uh, coating on them. Uh, on Black Friday, you could have saved sixteen hundred dollars on the entire set of eight. So I saw the sixteen hundred dollar discount. And I went, okay. Well, what's the actual <laughs> retail price? Five. There's like four. Four thousand nine hundred some odd dollars for a set of eight pans. Oh, by the way, um, Cesare is saying that's a good explanation for culinary failure. I didn't say culinary <laughs> failure. You know, anytime you want to throw down, Pollock, bring it on, bro. Anytime you want to throw down, Pollock, bring your French toast and you bring your Polish toast and your kolache, and I'll bring my French toast. We'll blindfold the uh, the people to eat, and we'll put pink slips for cars and and mortgage houses up. Bring it on, bro. Bring it um, on. Cesare, what is the name of that delicious uh, Polish meal? Um, I've had, there's a Polish restaurant in Brompton, very near the Brompton Oratory. And they I, I was taken there once, and it was a kind of potato pancakes with sour cream and a sort of apple sauce. Does that have a specific name? It was really delicious. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Very filling, though. Yes. Uh, and now, now back to the the Red Planet and uh, yes. the, the John Carter. That's I, I, I thought I thought we would be talking about the Red Planet somehow. Yes. Well, uh, we, we had to get pulled and dragged into the into the mire. <laughs> yeah. Don't pulled, worry. pulled and dragged into the mire. Uh, but in any event, um, let's talk about the uh, the John Carter books. Yeah. So the John Carter books are, um, uh, they started as, as Edgar Rice Burroughs, and it started out as comic strips or as kind of shorts that would, would appear that were illustrated in periodicals. Okay. And then he wrote the, there's the Martian Princess, there's the Martian Warlord, uh, it's a trilogy of sorts. Mm. Um, okay. And, and so then, yeah, then he turned them into books, but the movie that they made out of it is pretty good. 
Okay. Relatively speaking. So what's the what's the film called? Uh, it's called John Carter. John Carter. John Carter. Okay. John Carter on Mars or John Carter. Uh, I think Mars is in the title actually. Okay. I'll look for it. Yes, uh, I think that uh, your your space nerd son would. Uh, I think your space nerd son would appreciate it. Okay. Well, I would definitely look it up then. <laughs> yes, um, you should look it up. Um, also, the, um, uh, the, the 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 ability to be able to see with the naked eye the planets. Well, at one point in time, that's all people had. Yeah. So uh, Ptolemy didn't have a telescope, but Ptolemy drew a pretty accurate picture of the solar system. Hmm. So um, uh, you could see Neptune. It is visible. Now, you're going to need to be somewhere where there's no light pollution whatsoever, and you're going to have to know where to look. Um, but it's an interesting thing about, about becoming a stargazing nerd. Mm-hmm. Do you know that all the planets are on a – they're all on the same arc in the sky. They're all on like a latitude line. Draw a latitude line across the globe. Mm-hmm. We'll extend a latitude line out into space. And okay. The fir- okay, the first thing that the latitude line will bisect is the moon. Right. So depending, and, and, and this is strange, depending on where the moon is. The moon has a really cool orbit. The moon's orbit, our moon's orbit is not circular. It is elliptical. And mm-hmm. it's not perfectly concentric to the to the uh, to the equator of the Earth, if you will. Say, if you could draw a line around the equator of the Earth and kind of extend it out. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and then the, you would expect that the moon would travel around that line. It doesn't. It right. goes above it, and it goes below it. Now, you can see this with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Anytime you okay. want, you can see this with the naked eye, and it's really cool to see. And uh, your space nerd son might know this. You have the apogee of the moon, and you have the perigee of the moon. Right. So, the, so you know the difference. No, but my son will. Okay, so the apogee... I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to look up to tell him all about it. Okay, the okay. apogee is when where you are, the moon will be the farthest away it can possibly be, and you, and you can still see it. So it'll be below that imaginary line coming across the equator and will be as far uh, as far distant in, it, in its orbit, in its elliptical orbit, as you could possibly see. The converse is, is, is really cool, too. So then you get the perigee. Now, the perigee is when the moon's the closest. So that's when it's on that, that kind of a, uh, that, uh, that elliptical orbit, and you're, it's at the short side of it, okay? Mm-hmm. And... It you know where it crosses our equatorial imaginary line, right? It yeah. is as close to you, so it's closer to you. It hasn't crossed to the other side, away from you. Now that's this will reverse northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. So right. when you would have a perigee, uh, someone across the other side of the globe in the southern hemisphere would have an apogee. Okay. So okay. and it's really this is what drives the tides. Yeah. This is why the this is why the water gets pulled because of the uh, of I, I saw a, a geologist once describe um, uh, the moon and the Earth's orbit as, as the moon and the Earth's rickety orbit. You know that the orbit of the orbit of the Earth is not round. It's not completely. People think mm. it's per- perfectly sick, uh, uh, circular. It's not. Um, yeah. uh, we get pulled. Well, uh, depending on where Jupiter is, you get pulled out a little further into space by Jupiter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jupiter's not there, um, then you, uh, you, you, you'll be on your normal path. It's really fascinating stuff when you're talking about the, the origin or kind of how the planets are all lined up. But if you can see, like the most amount of planets that, that you could see, there's they're, they're very rare astronomical. We just had one. We mm-hmm. just had one when Saturn, Jupiter, and Neptune were all pretty much in the same place in the sky. Well. It doesn't happen very often. As a matter of fact, it's hundreds of years because Saturn's orbit is what? twelve. I mean, uh, Okay, Jupiter's orbit is 12 years, 12 of our years. I want to say mm-hmm. that Saturn's is like 35 of, your, of ours or something like that, and Neptune's is in, in, is in the hundreds. So uh, it doesn't happen very often that the planets align like that, but when it does, it's really cool. It was an uh, astronomical occurrence that, uh, like I said, I think it happened in the last year. Do you have a telescope? Is this sort of thing you do? In your I have a time? small one, nothing like what PDCCO has. That's an impressive telescope. That's an impressive telescope. I want to go hang out with that guy. <laughs> Maybe he might let you use it. Yeah. Well, he's a you know, he, he doesn't like to talk about his work, but he should. He's a he's a professional photographer. Okay. So he probably used it to take photographs. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of the uh, of when you have a telescope like that, you know, you could take a with my little Celestron. I've seen Jupiter, um, but it, <laughs> we're all jaded from the images that the space agencies serve up as images of the planets. They're not. Hmm? No, they Photoshop them. They're digital, most of them. Okay. Yeah, they'll show you this is this best image of Jupiter. That's it's not an image of Jupiter. It's almost impossible. You'd have to be out. You'd have to be uh, on the top of one of those mountains in Hawaii with one of those ginormous two hundred inch uh, uh, mirror based uh, telescope lenses to get that kind of an image where you could focus in that clearly. Just to, you just okay. think about the distance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the light okay. travels. It doesn't travel that good. So, um, no, he, he, he uh, was taking pictures. A uh, guy. They're all on a, like a latitude line. Draw a latitude line across the globe. Mm-hmm. We'll extend a latitude line out into space. And okay. The fir- okay, the first thing that the latitude line will bisect is the moon. Right. So depending, and, and uh, this is strange, depending on where the moon is. The moon has a really cool orbit. The moon's orbit, our moon's orbit is not circular. It is elliptical. And mm-hmm. it's not perfectly concentric to the, to, the, uh, to the equator of the Earth, if you will. Say if you could draw a line around the equator of the Earth and kind of extend it out. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and then the, you would expect that the moon would travel around that line. It doesn't. It right. goes above it, and it goes below it. Now, you can see this with the naked eye, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Anytime you okay. want, you can see this with the naked eye, and it's really cool to see. And uh, your space nerd son might know this. You have the apogee of the moon, and you have the perigee of the moon. Right. So, the, so you know the difference. No, but my son will. Okay, so the apogee... I'm waiting, I'm waiting to look up to tell him all about it. Okay, the okay. apogee is when where you are, the moon will be the farthest away it can possibly be, and you, and you can still see it. So okay. it'll be below that imaginary line coming across the equator, 
and will be as far uh, as far distance in, in its orbit, in its elliptical orbit, as you could possibly see. The converse is, is, is really cool, too. So then you get the perigee. Now, the perigee is when the moon's the closest. So that's when it's on that, that kind of a, uh, that, uh, that elliptical orbit, and you're, it's at the short side of it, okay? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, where it crosses our equatorial imaginary line, right? It yes. is as close to you. So it's closer to you. It hasn't crossed to the other side away from you. Now, that's, this will reverse northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. Right. So when you would have a perigee, uh, someone across the other side of the globe in the southern hemisphere would have an apogee. Okay. So, okay. and it's really, this is what drives the tides. Yeah. This is why the this is why the water gets pulled because of the uh, of I, I saw a, a geologist once describe um, uh, the moon and the Earth's orbit as as the moon and the Earth's rickety orbit. You know that the orbit of the orbit of the Earth is not round. It's not completely. People think mm. it's per- perfectly sick, as, 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 uh, circular. It's not. Um, yeah. uh, we get pulled. Well, uh, depending on where Jupiter is, you get pulled out a little further into space by Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And when Jupiter's not there, um, then you, uh, you you you'll be on your normal path. It's really fascinating stuff when you're talking about the the origin or kind of how the planets are all lined up. But if you can see, like the most amount of planets that that you could see, there there's there's very rare astronomical. We just had one. We mm-hmm. just had one when Saturn, Jupiter, and Neptune were all pretty much in the same place in the sky. Well, it doesn't happen very often. As a matter of fact, it's hundreds of years because Saturn's orbit is what? 12, I mean, uh, okay, Jupiter's orbit is 12 years, 12 of our years. I want to say mm-hmm. that Saturn's is like 35 of, your, of ours or something like that, and Neptune's is in, in, is in the hundreds. So uh, it doesn't happen very often that the planets align like that, but when it does, it's really cool. It was an it was uh, astronomical occurrence that, uh, like I said, I think it happened in the last year. Do you have a telescope? Is this sort of thing you do? In your I have a time? small one, nothing like what PDCCO has. That's an impressive telescope. That's an impressive telescope. I want to go hang out with that guy. <laughs> Maybe he might let you use it. Yeah. Well, he's a you know, he, he he doesn't like to talk about his work, but he should. He's a he's a professional photographer. Okay. So he probably used it to take photographs. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of the uh, of when you have a telescope like that, you know you could take a with my little Celestron. I've seen Jupiter, um, but it, we're all jaded from the images that the space agencies serve up as images of the planets. They're not. Hmm? No, they Photoshop them. They're digital, most of them. Okay. Yeah, they'll show you this is the best image of Jupiter. That's it's not an image of Jupiter. It's almost impossible. You'd have to be out. You'd have to be uh, on the top of one of those mountains in Hawaii with one of those ginormous two hundred inch uh, uh, mirror based uh, telescope lenses to get that kind of an image where you could focus in that clearly. Just to, you, you mm-hmm. think about the distance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the light okay. travels. It doesn't travel that good. So, um, no, he, he, he uh, was taking pictures, I, I imagine, with that telescope, which is which, which probably um, was what the kind of a telescope is, 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 is made for. Okay. Do you have a telescope? No. Nope. You should get one for, you should get Hugh one for Christmas. Well, you see, I think, unfortunately, we have too much light pollution here. Yeah, but yeah, but but depending on like uh, depending on where Jupiter's orbit is, say, 
Say that mm. say the moon is 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 not in a, in a bright phase. Jupiter will appear where you are, almost directly above your head. Right. Light pollution okay. won't affect that. Okay. That's good to know. All yeah. Right. So there are things you could see in the, in the in the sky that wouldn't be affected by light pollution, but it, but it it definitely does have an effect. And it doesn't even matter the size of the city you live in. All right. Well. No, it doesn't. It it just it, it, because. Do you know that they, uh, you were talking about uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens earlier. Yeah. And about how the atheists do these things. You know, the atheists, they just ape things. Yeah, they do it completely. What's what the enemy does? He takes good things from God and he inverts them. Yeah. And KV's right. He doesn't invent anything. He's not a creator. Mm. He's a thief. Yeah. Yeah. So he steals the good, the true, and the beautiful. And then he flips it upside down and makes it ugly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So, so and yeah, but it's interesting that the that the new atheists do that. It sort of makes the point, really, doesn't it? Well, I I, I mean it does, but <laughs> Brother Francis would would say that uh, he would rather that uh, if he if, if he was going to debate one or the other, the atheist or the agnostic, that he would debate the atheist. Because, yes, because the agnostic is just confused. <laughs> yes, I think with 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 agnosticism, it's it's a difficult. I, I think it would be harder to find the, you know, the, the point. You, I'm not sure you'd know where to start. Well, first of all, gnosticism is a heresy. Yeah. So you're dealing with heretics from the get go. No, yeah. atheism is just kind of like, did you believe once and you've apostatized and you don't believe anymore? Yeah. So, I mean, you know your language pretty well. So, theist is ah, theist, opposite mm -hmm. theist, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brother Francis would say he would rather deal with an atheist than, uh, or have to debate an atheist than he would an agnostic because the atheist actually believes in something. The agnostic is just confused and believes in nothing. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they, they believe that, so that you can't prove anything, in which case it's sort of, I don't see how you can debate it if you just, if you, if you just take the view that, well, maybe, maybe not, but we can't know. No, it feels like it feels like an intellectual cop out. Yes, uh, well, um, all of those things that came out of the Enlightenment are intellectual cop outs because they 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 all come from the scholastic, uh, Thomistic, Aristotelian, whatever you wish to call. They all come from the logical school, mm. uh, but we had to turn them upside down because Christ can't possibly be the answer. That's the enemy speaking, yeah. right? Yeah. So when the enemy speaks, the enemy he literally speaks with forked tongue. Mm. Enemies speak with forked tongue. <laughs> so, um, I think that the, the the that there has not been a lot of a lot of uh, uh, see who wrote the last. I want to say that Isaac Asimov wrote about Mars. Yeah, probably did. But I don't think anyone uh, popularly because you know the 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 movies like the, probably the most famous Martian movie is Total Recall. That's a, uh, Philip K. Hmm? That's a Philip Sorry. K. Dick short story. Okay. That's not a, uh, so that, uh, that, was, that was written in the 1960s, 50s right. or 60s. Uh, we haven't had a good Martian yarn lately. Maybe you should write one. Well, I was just thinking, you know, maybe I'll have to find someone, you know, probably to co-author with. Well, well John um, Carter was, 
<laughs> okay, do you know what another want to know to set up with John Carter? Okay, so John Carter is an officer, right? Was he an officer? Um, I think he was an officer, and he was fighting in what you call the American Civil War. Yeah. And in the American Civil War, he goes into a cave. Uh, uh, Was he running from Yankees or he's hiding? I can't remember. And in the cave is basically kind of a wormhole. Now, you got to right. remember, he's writing this at the turn of the last century. He couldn't possibly have known what a wormhole was. Wow. But basically, he creates a wormhole, and then John Carter, from the 1860s, gets transported through the wormhole to Mars to find <laughs> out that okay. there's an alien race on Mars. <laughs> right. And uh, they need a military leader, and he just happens to be one. It's a swashbuckling, uh, kind of a space cowboy movie. I, I think your son would like it. It's got enough. It's got enough sci-fi in it. Just enough, and the movie certainly has plenty of sci-fi in it. Okay. Well, no, it sounds like I, I could imagine. I could imagine him being interested in that. It's, it sounds like it's it's sufficiently it's sufficiently um, creative and slightly eccentric, and has a sort of historical side to it as well yeah okay okay so now time for the have yourself a merry manly soundbite of the day by the way congratulations to uh tom dolan tom dolan was winner number one yesterday you and i were both wrong <laughs> shuffle 13 was a no-show Oh. Ashley was caller two and five, and Tom Dolan was caller seven. So, <laughs> congratulations to Tom Dolan. Um, uh, we had five, uh, at least five, as of yesterday afternoon, uh, individual people purchased tickets in the store, the Merry or Manly Little Christmas, which is the purpose of the the, the big contest. So, five down, one hundred and ninety-five to go to get to our goal of two hundred. The email went out this morning, uh, but folks, if you got the email yesterday, you're probably going to notice that the code word of the the day is the same as it was yesterday, so we're not going to be a stickler on that. Uh, there's like 17, uh, uh, there are 17 batons with spinning plates on them, like on the old Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> and we've only gotten maybe nine of them down, so eight of them are still up in the air. And that's one of them. It just didn't, didn't lock that one down. But I do have a soundbite of the day for you. You'll probably call it dreadful, but I'm going to play it anyway. And then Maggie's <laughs> going to tell us what number caller you need to be when you hear this. Play it back. <laughs> I'm Mr. White Christmas, I'm Mr. Snow, I'm Mr. Icicle, I'm Mr. Tenderlow, friends call me Snow Miser, whatever I touch, turns to snow in my clutch, <laughs> I'm too much. All right, Snow Miser, Heat Miser. Maggie, what color number are they going to be today? Uh, color number four. So when you hear that played back, color number four, Snow Miser, Heat Miser song, have a yesterday's or today's code word of the day. And you can join Tom Dolan and be winner number two. 
There we go. In the 2023 oh. Have Yourself a Merry or a Manly Little Christmas Contest. And uh, if you go to the site, uh, crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary has all the details in there. You have to be a Founders Pass member to uh, to win. No problem there because you can get an entire year free on the site at crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. It also will link you to the tickets and we'll show you the five of the six uh, grand prizes that we have. We'll get number six up here today, but it's a great coffee. Uh, uh, do you drink coffee or do you drink tea? I drink tea and coffee. Okay. So, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Well, the coffee prize pack is amazing. So, okay. yes, you get a French press emblazoned with a capuchin uh, or etched with a capuchin dark roast logo on it. This is not any ordinary French press. This is actually a thermal one which keeps the coffee warm for up to three hours. So you get a French press. You get a tea kettle that does the same thing. So it got you covered right there, coffee and tea. Mm -hmm. You, Yep, you get a uh, one of our handmade, um, uh, made uh, by the Mountain Arts Pottery Company in Montana, uh, handmade coffee mug. You get a handmade uh, co wooden coffee scoop, a St. Drago coffee scoop. Yeah, and you get three bags of gourmet coffee, a bag from the Abbey Roast, a bag from Twin Pikes, and a bag of Cappuccino Dark Roast. And uh, you can start bidding on that later today, but that's one of the uh, grand prizes there. And the Mary Manley 2023 Christmas Contest. So, now that we've got all that out, uh, we uh, will turn it back over to you, and we shall uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Indeed, it is 34 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from Chile, England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com and the chat room is open for your commentary as well at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Music